0: I love that kid. He he epitomizes so much of, um, I think, what we want our students to be. And as many of you know, he's such a public figure, and he's handled it with grace and class. But he is just a part of why we are pouring millions of dollars into students. Um, I'm the world's oldest youth pastor. Did you know that? Did you know that? I came home, we were doing a session with with Springboro's, we're in a a session with Springboro's girls team right now, and I came home last week and I told Sherry, I said, it took me till I was 61 to really find my calling. You know, because what students are going through, Gabe is at a very public level, but I guarantee you, and people say, I don't think my student feels pressure. And I always say, is he breathing? Is she breathing? then she's feeling pressure. I'm telling you, she's feeling expectations. And we're going to talk about that a lot this month because we are, you know, renewing our uh, players box season as we begin the next session here in a few weeks. And we have an event coming up that you'll hear about January 29th. But today we start a series on James. And um, I'll start it this way. Uh, Some of you are runners and will get this, but you don't have to be a runner to get this, okay? A number of years ago, this is a Runner's World magazine uh, issue. And a number of years ago, Runner's World decided to change its target. And instead of going after the person who's really serious about running, they broadened it to if you run once a month and you don't really pay attention to your diet, uh, you'll still like our magazine. So they really broadened their reach. And some of you know this. Some of you runners know this. This is Tracksmith's catalog. Tracksmith is a brand for runners that you're serious about running. Okay, this is not you don't watch your carbs. You run once a month. They target the person who's serious about running. And as we get into this series i always try to you know the first task of leadership is define reality please understand something if in relation to christ you're the once a month i don't pay attention to my carbs uh this is going to challenge you but we do so with the new testament promise that you can become a runner for jesus someday That you can become immeasurably more than all you would have thought or imagined in Christ. And I want to frame that with that picture because I know, I, I mean, my passion is unspiritual guys. And I say that knowing there's no such thing as an unspiritual guy. There's a guy who thinks he's unspiritual. You're not a body and you happen to have a spirit. You're a spirit and you happen to have a body. And I say that because to that guy out there in particular, hey, this, this can become you. You can become Tracksmith for Jesus guy. And that's what James will lead us to because as we begin this new year, we get our list of things to do and we need reminded that the most important reality that will frame your 2023 is not what you do. It's knowing who you are and whose you are. That will define your year more than anything else. Now, I say that because as we begin this series, Letter from a Jesus Skeptic, we're looking at all these pictures James gives of what fleshing out a life in Christ looks like with regard to temptation, with regard to anger, with regard to conflict, with regard to finances, with regard to prayer. I mean, all these subjects that are right at the heart of everyday living He begins this letter with where we're going to camp for a little bit this morning. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins his letter with a definition, letting his audience know, I know who I am, and I know whose I am. I want you to know that right off the bat. Now remember... He's the younger brother of Jesus, which by the way, what would it be like to grow up the younger brother of Jesus? You talk about you need players' box, you need pressure. Why can't you be more like your big brother? You know? And he 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 was initially a skeptic of his brother, who wouldn't be a skeptic of your brother if they went around saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. And then resurrection changed all that. And he opens by defining something that. Use, a word he uses is really important to understand. Write this down, a due loss. I am a due loss of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And a due loss was a bond servant, a house servant, bound, had a ring or a branding, a dare we say it, to really get the emotional oomph of this word, a slave. I am a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we don't like that, do we? Like, we don't like that. Oh, really? Really? That's what it means to be fully mature in Christ is I am a bondservant. How many times in your house have these words been uttered? What am I? Your servant? Get up and get it yourself. Has that ever happened in your house? I mean, we don't like, we don't like, we don't like those words. We don't like those words. Everything unpleasant about being a part of a household is the servant part. Is that not true? Somebody said that they ought to make an alarm clock that is the sound of a dog about to puke, because nothing gets you out of bed faster than that. That's the servant thing, right? You, know, family members, you know. If how many of you are today? You sit here and you go, "I'm feeling a little moody, and I'm feeling just a, a just like a little out of sorts and tired." If you Google your symptoms. What you, you'll find what you have. You have kids. That's just what you have. You have kids. That's what it means to have kids. Why? Because so much of what being a part of a family is is the serving part, the serving the kids part. And I know that there are probably students in our midst who don't think that their family does enough to serve them. But but uh, that's the part. Trust me, being a parent, it's really hard. So do loss. Is someone James says I know who I am I know whose I am I'm a servant and not only that I am his servant and this communicates three things do loss communicates uh, absolute obedience my task in life is to obey my master when you were a servant um, you didn't have or oh, I have other plans aren't you glad those who served UC Medical Center didn't have any other plans when they're standing on those sidelines Monday night they didn't say you know what it's not convenient for me right now to run onto that field why they are bound to a duty that's what it means to be a servant in a matter of seconds they were on that field that's that's the response of a servant Lord you you tell me where to go you ask me to jump and I'll say how high number two do loss commun- communicates absolute humility Tim Keller has a little book that's wonderful called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Think about that, freedom of self-forgetfulness. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And this is the freedom of being a a doulos of Jesus, is the freedom of no longer being obsessed about yourself. It is, is, the other term for that is called salvation, is what that's called. And doulos communicates loyalty. I'm not in it for what I can get out of it. I'm in it for what I can give to it. So the reason I say that is because this is the deepest level of connection to Christ. If you say what, what's, if, if, if you say our mission is to connect people to Christ, not religion, what does that look like? It looks like that. That's the deepest level of commitment. And the reason that's important is the contrast of that is the American idea of Jesus. Jesus is my woobie. Jesus is my comfort blanket. Jesus is my co-pilot. Jesus takes the wheel when I am running off the road. This whole idea, I love an interview that Bono had with Christianity Today, the lead singer of U2. And one time Franklin Graham asked him, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? And Bono responded classically by saying, yeah, but I try not to use him like that. Which is really an interesting reaction or answer. I try not to use him as my... Oops, take the wheel, Jesus. And this statement by James, we have to stop and look, because you're living in a culture that wants saviors but doesn't want lords. I want the kingdom, but I want the king. And James says, here's who I am. Here's who I am. I know who I am. I know whose I am. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ he says you go i go now it's really interesting thing on this uh the person who defines self in this way is unbeatable they've already died to self They, they can't be beaten the person has this person has a fixed compass set in eternity that is drawing them toward eternity with powerful clarity and simplicity they're able to make decisions through that lens of does this please christ This person does not fall for fads, isn't subject to fleeting feelings all the time. They're not governed by the whims of emotion. This person will not be blown off course, even though the winds will always be headwinds. Almost always, they're not gonna be blown off course. We'll see this later in the letter. This person has what everyone could have if everyone wanted to have it more than anything else, security. This is amazing. You're talking about a person who would eventually be executed for Christ and lived with this amazing amount of the freedom of self-forgetfulness. I am a loss. And I know you are Runner's World. I run once a month. I eat 5,000 carbs a day. And I still subscribe to Runner's World. Jesus follower. I'm telling you, if you listen to what I say today, you can become Tracksmith Jesus. You can become the person that uh, is moving toward maturity. I don't know about you. I haven't gotten there yet. I've gotten there yet. But I'm gonna show you Is where I'm moving and where hundreds of other people you're sitting with right now are moving toward this not because they do anything spectacular but because they follow some basic principles and I'm gonna give you three three character assets and I truly believe if you have these three that you're nurturing and developing in Christ you you are moving toward becoming the unbeatable do loss here it is number one perseverance grit Perseverance. Look what James says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know something. You know the necessity of your struggles. Why? That testing of your faith produces perseverance. Hupomene. Hupomene is my favorite word in the New Testament other than charis, grace. Hupomene meant. To bear up under so that you can become great. To bear up under, not for no purpose, but to become great. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It is an essential of your life that you struggle. Aren't you glad you came to church today to hear the good news? It but it is an essential, and, and I love this, I love this. Uh I'm gonna shock you with this. James 1.12, in verse 12, he gets to the end of this section. He says, blessed is that person who perseveres under trial. Because when they stood the test, they, they received the crown of life that God promises to all of them. That when you look at them, you'll go, oh, she has what I want. She has a depth. She has a bright sadness. She's in touch with the reality of how harsh life can be. But she has something within that that I want. There was an old football coach who coached at Barberton High School, came from Barberton High School, coached at Miami University in the 1960s, and he coached somewhere else. Uh, Bo was his name. And I I love the mantra that he that he coached with: those who stay will be champions. That's that's James 112. That the reward goes to those who stay. The old author, Warren Wiersbe, used to have an illustration he'd tell about a pastor who, who had gone to eight different churches in 16 years. He'd go to a church, he'd get tough, he'd go to another church. He, they're always looking at a geographical fix. And he said, the guy put on his resume that he had 16 years of ministry experience, and he said, no, he didn't. He had two years experience eight different times. James says, there is nothing like the character quality of Perseverance perseverance because those who stay will be champions those are the people that get crowned with life now what develops that i can tell you i can tell you right now and there are scores of people right now that will tell you in relationship to christ and any other endeavor in life that is valuable the way you develop grit and perseverance is not hard it's just every day you're intentional about developing your grit muscle Every day, whatever it is you do that you got to do, you do it plus one. That is the secret to perseverance. You say you're going to do 20 reps, do 21. Why? You're growing your grit muscle. You bust through, look at this, you quit grit through quitting, you bust through breaking. If you do that with the things of taking care of yourself, your reading, your praying, whatever it is, your, your disciplines, if you do whatever it is you do, and you know I'm a big believer in start with one push-up a a day for three months you'll change your life you'll change your life because then you'll move to two you doubled and then you'll start telling your brain we're gritty we're gritty." it'll change your life why it's because perseverance is just like running you don't go from i can run a mile to i can run a marathon because you tried hard that's not how you do that you do it because you trained right you did the little things every day Think about someone right now you admire spiritually in their relationship with Christ and their impact on this world. I guarantee you, they're doing the little stuff behind the scenes that is not romantic. Just every day, every day, every day, and they're developing grit muscle. They're developing grit muscle. The second one is prayer. But I want you to see something that how this fits together, okay? How this fits together. I was watching some students that I care about so much uh, struggling this week. And I was thinking about, as many of us, when we think about the significant events of our life, we don't sit in the moment of that significant event and go, ooh, this is a significant event, I think. I think this is going to change my life. It's usually you look back and go, ooh, that was a significant event. And I was watching some students that I just care about so much. I want to see them succeed, struggle. And I was thinking about, I was a sophomore in high school, a very average basketball player who loved basketball more than God I I mean just more than God loves basketball is what I mean by that more than God loves basketball and and I and I and I was average but I wanted I wanted to be so good and I worked so hard but it was never work it was never work because I just loved it so much going into my sophomore year I had I had some really good success at Buckeye basketball camp at Otterbein University and I so I went in my sophomore year with expectations and about halfway through the year I was playing so poorly, I was getting bodily threat. Now, you think you play bad? I was getting threatened to be harmed. I was playing that bad. I just was struggling. And I'll never forget this significant event. I come home one night and uh, my mom had been at the game and I walked in the house and said, I'm quitting, I'm done. I'm done. And I went up to my room and my dad had got in from a trip and he, he comes in. He didn't see the game. He walks into my bedroom. I'm lying there in the dark, having a full self-pity party. And he walks in the door. I'll never forget this. He says, your mother says you're quitting. Here's all I want to say to you. If you let the bastards get you down now, they will always get you down. And he walked out of the room. And forgive my dad's language, but he was so right and so much of the joy of my life has come in my relationship with Christ and my purposes because I didn't quit that night. And I've been able to be in the arena of athletics and I experienced so much joy as a college basketball player that never would have happened. And here's what I remember that night. Here's what I remember. I remember my dad leaving the room. And I remember having enough faith to say, Jesus, I need your help. I need your help to do this. And I was not what you would consider a tracksmith follower of Jesus at that point. But here's what happens. When you take perseverance and then you meld it with prayer, now we're getting somewhere. Now, look at this, look at this. James says, now, you're in a situation where you're in over your head. You know, the bastards are getting you down. If any of you lacks wisdom in how to navigate that situation, look at this, look at this. You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Now, look at there, Mr. Non-Spiritual Guy, you don't don't say, well, you know what? I'm going to ask God, but I know he's going to hold against me what I did last Saturday night. James says he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, God doesn't say, yeah, I, I, would, I would hear your prayer, but I know what you did last week. So I'm not, no, he's just God is so generous. He wants you to have wisdom on how to navigate your struggles. He wants you to have that. So it'll be given to you. It'll be given to you. That when God wants you to have wisdom, John tells us that when you ask according to God's will, you have what you've asked of him. When you enter into prayer is a part of what I do, it's a part of how I live in navigating my struggles. He says, it'll, it'll be given to you. When you ask, don't doubt. You must believe and I doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Look at this. He says, all you have to do is not be of two minds. Well, I kind of want what God wants, but I really want what I want. He says, no, don't. That's the doubt he's talking about. The doubt he's talking about is, do I really want to follow Christ? Am I Mr. Runner's World once a month? I eat all the carbs I want guy? Or am I Tracksmith guy? He says, your part is your Tracksmith guy. You know what you want. I want to be a servant of Christ. That's what I want. There'll be no doubt when I ask him, I want what he wills, not what I will. I'm not of two minds on this. And so one of the things about people that you admire spiritually is they have, this, they have this thing that seems mysterious to if you're new to faith, this prayer reality going on. Now, Monday night, I don't know a time in my life when at one point, in one minute, millions of Americans were praying about the same thing. Like the same, I can't remember. I think when little Jessica fell into that cave, remember that in the late 80s? That was probably the last time that in one moment, so all of us prayed. The natural inclination to pray happened Monday night. Uh, did any of you ever think you'd see Dan Orlovsky on ESPN live, leading a prayer? Not saying the trite prayers and thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, but leading a prayer. Disney's headquarters imploded when that happened Wednesday. So, but also all of us know that we ought to pray. But how many of you would say, "Yep, yeah, I pray as much as I should." I'm a prayer superhero. I am way beyond Tracksmith Jesus when I'm praying. I'm way beyond that. Most of us would say, yeah, I pray when my child's sick. I pray when my 16-year-old who just got their license is a little late coming home. I pray when my 16-year-old is out on the porch with her boyfriend. I pray in those moments, you know. I pray when I see a discoloration or I get a lump. I pray when the plane loses altitude, all that stuff. We pray, but most of us don't pray like we should. And there are really three reasons for that. Number one is we don't understand our value to God. God invites us, James says, into prayer. Number two, we're independently busy. It just, we're too busy to pray, when in actuality, we're too busy not to pray. And number three, we don't understand prayer. Prayer is not something you do. It's not something you do. It's not a checklist item. It is, it is someone to talk to who is near, like the air you breathe. And God's power and wisdom flow through people who are committed to regular prayer. Now you say, well, I don't understand that. I don't either. I don't understand how my remote control works. Boy, during bowl season, did I use my remote control. I don't understand how my garage door opener works, do you? I don't understand how electricity works. I I know it's protons and neutrons and, you know, the flow. But I don't really understand how it works. Do any of you trust electricity even though you don't know how it works? And that's the person who has this prayer power growing in their life to navigate struggle is they trust it, even though they don't understand it, that God's supernatural strength and wisdom are available to praying people who are convinced to the core of their being that God will make a difference, that God will make a difference. And we may not always see it right now, but God will make a difference. You see, Damar Hamlin's charity is up to $8.3 million as of this morning, because that's what God does. He, when people start praying, things start happening, you go, what is going on? What's going on? We'll get to this at the end of this series. James says later, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It doesn't say the prayer of a perfect person, it just says someone who's after righteousness, and the word there for effective means to take something average and make it great that it is that element of prayer that can take your life, and you go, whoa, we're going places now. We're Tracksmith Jesus. We're no longer Runner's World Jesus. We're Tracksmith Jesus. Something's happening, and it is that simple. Now, you say, well, I don't know how to do that. On the January 1st digital experience, I explained this, so I won't go into detail, but all you have to think of, think about the, the acrostic uh, acts, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and this fancy word, supplication, means asking. All you do is prayers is this cycle of worshiping God for who he is. If you're tired today, you say, God, I thank you that you are tireless. You neither slumber nor sleep. Like you, you 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 adore God out of where you're living right now. God, I thank you I'm losing my mind, but I thank you that you never, you never fret. You're never losing your mind. You confess. This is just where you're open to God. You just open yourself up and say, here's what's going on in my heart. Here's what's going on in my soul. Here's sins I need to confess. You list what you're grateful for, and then you ask for what you need. You ask for what you need. But the person who does that, the person who does that, it it is amazing empowerment where they begin to see that prayer becomes my air. It is like breathing. It is like breathing. I frequently sit down and get intentional about it, but it is like breathing in and out. I'm breathing in and out. The very close God, who Who gives without holding back. Who gives without saying, I know what you did last week. He's full of grace. here's one more. Here's one more. And these all three work together, and that is perspective. Perspective. Look at what James says. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. It's great. What? Yes, that's right. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. The rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. Now what was happening, you'll see in this letter, is they were wealthy people who were taking precedent over less wealthy people. And so this is not a blanket statement against wealth. It's a blanket statement against those who put their hope in wealth and use wealth as a way to be over other people. He says that it was called the, the... the Chimon, the southwester, the southeasterly breeze that would come through the desert and was so hot, like a furnace being turned on that would wipe away all vegetation, he says, for the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls, its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich and fate will fade away even while they go about their business. Look what he's saying. Look what he's saying. Don't be fooled by circumstances. You look at someone who they just had a huge economic hit and you say, Oh, that's so bad. Well, maybe so but they're probably now in a position where they're going to be spiritually richer. You look at someone, they got the big job, the big promotion, and now they can travel. They stopped going to church. They stopped prioritizing Christ, and they just got poor. And look what he's saying. He says, don't look at external circumstances for your perspective. Sometimes you'll say, we lost that game. That was terrible. Yeah. But what you don't know is it's a part of something that you're going to grow through and you'll look back and go, that was a significant event. That was a significant event. You know, getting cancer, having a heart attack, those are all bad. But how many people look at that and go, well, my relationship with Christ changed. I love better today than I used to love. You remember me telling the old story, the Asian parable about the, the farmer and the son and the horse. And one day, the, his horse runs away, and his neighbors come over and say, oh, that's so bad. You lost your horse. He said, how do you know it's bad? Because the next day, the horse came back and followed him with 12 other wild horses that went right into the corral. And the neighbors came over and said, oh, that's so good. You got your horse back and 12 other horses. He said, oh, how do you know it's good? And the next day, this, his son was trying to break one of those wild horses for use. And the, the, the horse threw his son off the, into, onto the ground and he broke his arm. And his neighbors came over and said, oh, that's so bad. Your son broke his arm. He said, oh, how do you know it's bad? Because the next day the warlords came by confiscating all men to go to war but they couldn't take a son because he had a broken arm and the point of the story is not that he had dumb people for neighbors the point of the story <laughs> the point of the story is that you have perspective now you don't you don't look at things just from a, a earthly standpoint now look at this when you have perspective you'll pray more and you'll persevere more When you persevere more, you'll pray more, and you'll have bigger perspective. I'm telling you, if you have these three, you are on your way to becoming a doulos. I want you to look at something. Look at this quickly. We're going to use this during the series. If If you don't know where you are, you'll never know where you need to go. And so one of the things we developed is this growth grid. And we're going to make this available digitally so you can look at it, pray over it. But as many of you know, twenty almost 20 years ago now, we developed this 2,000-year time-tested element of solitude, scripture, service, support, significant events. I mean, if you invest in those, you're going to grow. Okay, you're going to grow. So, team, can I have that growth grid? I want to show you this because the power of knowing where you are. Do we have that? And it's just simply this. So here's here's way it looks. Solitude, scripture, service, support, significant events. When you're at the me stage, this is runner's world, follower of Jesus. It's me. Solitude is about help me, God. Scripture is about someone feed me. Service is about someone affirm me when I serve. Support is about you people, help me. I'm going nuts. And significant events are always about why. Why, God, why? Many of you, that's where you are. You're runner's world for Jesus. That's okay. That's where you are, that's where all of us start. I came to Jesus because I didn't want to go to hell. That was very me-centric. That's why I originally came to Jesus. But you can't stay there. And you have to know that, you know, that next stage is, is I'm a part of something bigger. I'm a part of the body of Christ. Now, we don't have a formal membership, but you know when you're a member of this church. You know when you're committed to it. And it begins to move into connect me, God. Can I learn with you? Can I serve with you? You mean I'm useful? And the question starts becoming what? What, God? What what do you have next? And then when you move into the mission level of maturity, where you're on your way, send me, God. Would you like to hear what God's doing in my life? Would you like to hear what God's saying to me through his word? You start having those conversations. Christ's love begins to compel you. We're doing this together. You, you start not just living inwardly. You live upwardly and outwardly. And, and you begin to ask questions like how? How can I... How can I take the significant events of my life and leverage those for his mission? Then you move into finding out how you're wired, your ministry. Use me, God. Equip and empower us together. I'm a part of something bigger now. I pour myself out, like Paul said, as a drink offering. This is going to cost me. This is, this is going to cost me. I'm not in it for whoopee Jesus now. I'm in it to what I can give. And who can I impact? And this is where, I'm not here yet, but this is where all of us are moving toward. If you do what I said today, you're moving toward, here am I, God. Here am I. Send me. I'm your do-loss. You, you tell me where to go, I'll go. If I need to be on that football field in three seconds, I will be on that field in three seconds. Read me, God. You start letting the scriptures read you instead of you reading the scriptures. This is a whole different deal. You start saying, God, you've already affirmed me. I'm a beloved child of yours. I don't need people to say, you're so wonderful. Don't need that. And, and you, you walk into a room, instead of saying, here I am, serve me, you walk into a room and say, there you are. How can I serve you? And, and the question becomes... You begin experiencing, if you want to save your life, you will lose your life for him. Now, if you want to be runner's world for Jesus, stay there. That's fine. You'll find here, you're not going to have anybody that makes you feel uncomfortable about that except me. Because... This is a waste of time if you're not intending on maturity. I'm a do loss of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Eric to come out right now because we want to be very particular about, for example, this month, this month, if you are a student, this is for you. Because do you know any students who are at the me level? Oh boy. <laughs> That's where you are. That's where you start. There's nothing shameful about that. But Biggie, we're we're about moving all of us. And uh, Eric is, you know, such an influential part of this community. But he is now moving into where he's going to leverage his time, talent, and treasure for Players Box, and just our being a part of our team to renew students and equip students. So tell what's coming up about, you know, this month and moving into February that includes everybody here. Everybody here is part of this.
1: Right. And you guys saw a little bit of Gabe Cup's story. Um, Really cool video that Bailey and her team did. Here at the end of the month, what, three, three weeks from tonight, right, January 29th, we're doing a Players Box Spotlight event. And what we're doing with that is from 6.30 to 7.30, very short, very right to the point. You're going to come in if you want to be a part of this, and you get to hear Charlie sit down with Brooke and Gabe, where they're going to talk in detail, man, about the experience of the game. Rook, you got him as a, as a successful coach, a player himself. You got Gabe's story where he can he's going to share a little bit more about, man, what is it like being kind of that type of influential player, the, the notoriety that comes with that, the process of colleges coming after him. How do, you, how do you navigate that? And the stress and pressure that comes with, let's be honest, the Centerville kid, the pressure that comes with expectation to perform every year with a program that's expected to succeed. And so they're going to sit down that night and talk about how player's box has been an important part of kind of getting that mind right. It's gonna be a great night, 6.30 to 7.30, January 29th. We're gonna have uh, hors d'oeuvres, desserts, all types of stuff out here in the atrium. If you are interested in coming to that, it'll be a great family event. Almost everyone out there would probably say at some point, man, we, we want our kids to be involved in athletics. Well, not only athletics, academics is pretty important, right, or the arts, all of this applies. And so that night, if you want to come, we would ask you, please, to go to the playersbox.org page mm-hmm. and RSVP, just so we have an idea of how many we expect, so we get enough treats and goodies for everyone that comes that night. But it's going to be a great
0: night. It is. And, and you know, we're we're opening up this winter. We start the elementary level of Players Box. So, uh we're really excited about that. We're going to start training little third and fourth graders in this stuff. Right. There's one thing better than the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. It's the fence at the top of the Catch cliff, right? Catch them early. And uh, so we're going to start doing that. So this thing's great. Right. Please understand, this is, the end game on this is to tell students, you can know who you are. And you can know whose you are. And w- But I think we're sending an army of students out. Some of them are here right now who've been through this and they are leaders, man. And and we wanna keep equipping for that. So E, I'm gonna gonna ask you to pray because that's where our community is going among a lot of other things this winter. Um, When we finish in a moment, we're gonna have a number of pastors up here. If you're in the midst of a struggle right now and you need wisdom, we're gonna have pastors up here to say, hey, would you pray with me? Or would you help me navigate this? We wanna make that available today. For those of you who need to have some time with Christ, Get quiet around the symbols of the body and blood of Christ that are in the corners of the room. Take those. Go back to your seat. Take a few minutes and contemplate today's content. If nothing else, say, Jesus, tell me where I am on the grid. Tell me where I am and help me grow to being your due loss. Eric, would you close us in prayer? Absolutely. okay Let's do this.
1: Dear God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for uh, a new year we are heading into. What a great, timely message that Charlie brought this morning. Uh, what, no better time than now to look at the new year and say, Hey, where, where am I in this walk with you? That we know the journey is a journey, a daily journey, each and every day to be more and more like you. And sometimes we don't, and we blow it. And that's okay, because the best thing is I get to stand up and do it tomorrow and try to do even better. Lord. Lord I pray today that every one of us will look at this grid And see where we are on this chart. And see how can we progress further in our faith with you. To understand that, yes, we have all had pain and heartache and things not working out the way that maybe we wish they would have. But you don't waste anything, Lord. And we pray that we spend time in prayer looking at our lives. God, here I am. Send me. Use me. Who can I help? And Lord, we pray for this initiative of Players Box as students all over greater Dayton area are in need of just this direction that sports and academics and arts are very important, but they are not the greatest thing. To have a healthy perspective of how to face the stress and pressures of this life is what's important. And your son is the greatest of
0: all. That's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. See you next week, everybody. Yep.